Well, thank you, Richard. That was a nice one. I like that one. Thank you. It's good to be back. We've, uh, we have been traveling some, and, and that's been great. We bring you greetings from Stevenage Vineyard, who are celebrating 15 years, and they're one of the churches we planted out from here, and so it was great to spend time with Peter and Ann Barnes and the people up there, and they're all rejoicing. And then last weekend, we were doing a church planting conference, our own in-house church planting conference, and uh, we had a wonderful time. Very excited about what the future holds for us. And, and can I just say to you that if, if, if you uh, think that church planting might be something for you, could you just drop me a little line either through email or, or uh, on the desk? And I'd love to have a conversation with you. But we are, we are intent upon planting six ch new churches. Now, no, sorry, what is it? Is it 10 by 2020? I lose track, sorry. But, uh, but anyway, it's a lot, you know, and we, we want to do that. You know, we've, we've done 10 already. And in fact, um, Jeremy Cook told me that we've actually, in total, if you total everything up, we have uh, fathered and grandfathered 27 churches. I'm incredibly proud of that. I, I don't mind admitting it. Uh, so there we go. <laughs> As always, what Fliss and I wanted to do, we felt it was what God told us to do. Now, today is an exciting day. And uh, it's exciting because this is one of those waypoints. A waypoint is, if you're a sailor, you know that when you plot a course, you, you have to, you, you very rarely can go from A to B as the crow flies. You'd think that it was like that in the sea with no sort of obstacles that you can see. But in fact, the reality is you have to plot a course. And those are called waypoints. And this is one of those important waypoint days in our journey. And it's been, it's been coming a long time. And I will be absolutely honest with you. I have been putting today off for some time. Others have been saying to me, we need, we need more space. And I've been sort of saying, nah, 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 I don't want to hear that. But the reality is that, that you know, God has done a bit of a, you know, duffed me up behind the cricket pavilion. And, uh, you know, I've come out of it realize, bruised, but, but realizing that actually this is God's will for us. So it's an exciting day. And I want to just spend a little bit of time unpacking this, helping you get up to speed, and then inviting you to join with with Fliss and myself as we pray and as we make sacrifices in order to purchase one of the properties around us. The one we have our eye on, no great big surprise, is, is uh, Norway House. It's exactly opposite here. In fact, some of you may have had the, the honor of parking in the car park because the owners are letting us use the, the uh, car park, which is very nice. Uh, it may not, if we, if we don't get that one, we may not have that facility, but we have it at present. So we're enjoying it without actually owning it. But uh, I want to tell you a little bit about this. But before I do anything else, who needs a tenner? Seriously? You need a tenner? There you go. Thank you. Who else needs a tenner? You don't look poor enough. You look far too well healed. Okay. He asked, up there, somebody run up to that nice thing, Larry, would you, being a sprightly young teenager, there you go, this is an expensive morning. Okay, you're a single parent, and let's be honest, you need more than a, uh, you need more than a tenner. Would you care to put your hand up? Okay. 
you're a single parent, you need more than a tenner. I, I think the lady that you've just given that tenner to, Larry, uh, you come down here, okay? Come and join us down here. It's a long walk, so talk amongst yourselves for a moment. Uh, can I have the microphone? Can we have a little bit of light on this front platform here? Thank you. Where is she? She's coming. Come on, run. We're all waiting. Now, do, do, I, do I know you? I might know you. I don't know. Do I know you? Come on up here. What's your name? Ronke. Ronke. And you're a single mum, and you could do with more than a tenner. Folks, she could do with more than a tenner. Anybody got a tenner to give her? Would you like to bring it down here? Anybody else want to bring a tenner down here? If you've got a tenner that you could give this young lady and her family, just come and give it to her now. Isn't this amazing? I love it when the church does this. This is called breaking the spirit of poverty. Okay, and uh, would you take two, two people in front of you, uh, put their hand up, could you give 20 quid to each of those? Thank you. I'm skinned now. Ronkey, I don't know whether you realize this, but you're an answer to prayer. You've been praying, and I'm sure, and I'm sure there's going to be a story that comes out of this, but I prayed that Father would pick out someone to bless this morning, and your hand went up like an arrow when I said, who needs a tenor? And I knew you needed a tenor. And so we're just going to ask God to bless you now. Father, we want to say thank you to Ronkey. And we want to say thank you, Lord God, for her love of you and the way she's trying to raise her kids. And you know her struggles. And we thank you, Lord God, that we, the Church of Jesus Christ, as a part for the poor, has been able to bless Ronke and her family today. May she know that she's loved by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Give her a big clap. Bless you. Thank you. Okay, the Word of God says this, and this is going to lead very nicely into really what I want to say to you about our growing family campaign. The Word of God says this in, in uh, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 10, 90 verse 7, it says this, can we put it on the screen please? Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. And he will reward them for what they've done. It's not about the reward, although that's nice too. The truth is that when we give to the poor, we lend to the Lord. 
And in case you haven't grasped it yet, let me just remind you, let me draw to your attention the fact that at the very heart of the gospel, at the heart of Jesus' message was this passion for the poor. I mean, of course, we tend to think of those in economic need, and certainly those are the people that we tend to, to favor and, and minister and reach out to. Of course, Jesus, when he came, he came with a manifesto for the poor. Let's have a look at it. Luke chapter 4, verses 18 to 19. Let's just read that. Very familiar to many of you, I'm sure. But this is Jesus' manifesto. Right at the beginning of his ministry, when he breaks cover, he's been in training, if you like. But one morning... He goes to the synagogue and he takes the scroll and he reads this. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's an extraordinary thing that, that God, when he comes to us, sees us whoever you are and whatever you are, as poor, poor in spirit. The trouble is, many of us don't know it. But many of us, if we've got a few bucks in the bank, that would seem to be enough. But actually, we are poor in spirit. And so Jesus comes as a savior to rescue each and every one of us. That's, that's at the heart of the gospel. But the, those that are oppressed, those who are economically challenged, those who are struggling to make ends meet, those who are falling into debt. God has a part of compassion for them. And this church, I'm proud to say, has always known that that's at the very heart of the gospel. When we first started the church, literally when there were the six of us and the, you know, the hamster called Eric, you know, which you've heard about before. Um, that summer, a young man called Paul, a politics student from Birmingham, got in touch with us and he said, I, I've got a summer off, I could go and work at you know, Morrison's or something, but I just felt like God was saying, you know, I, I should offer my time and service to you, a new church plant, what can I do? And, and actually, there was nothing to do. I mean, we, we were just busy trying to do life and, and you know, network with our neighbors. And so I, I, I prayed about it and I suddenly got this, this, this brainwave. I said, look, would you come to St. Albans and would you do a survey on the poor, what we want to do is we want to find out where we can help. So this was, you know, three months in, and Paul comes down and he did this great big telephone directory of a survey. He loved it. He interviewed all the local, he went to the local council, he interviewed various council officers, he went to various local charities and, and, and what have you. And, you know, he came back, and this was 1988, he came back to me, and I was eager for his response because I was looking forward to seeing what we could do. And he said this, he said... Actually, there aren't any poor that we can, we can get our, our hand on. I'm terribly sorry. I am being very distracted by children chattering. I, I wonder whether you wouldn't mind us taking them outside. We've got a wonderful children's ministry, and there's a lovely space up there, but I, I cannot concentrate. I'm so sorry. I do apologize, but I just can't think. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. So Paul said to me, he said, there aren't any poor. And I said, what do you mean there aren't any poor? And he said, well, St. Albans has the highest standard of living in the country. The average household owns 2.3 cars. I mean, I've never seen 0.3 of a car, you know. <laughs> what does that mean? These were, were meaningless. 
But as some of you know, as some of you know, what we actually did in those days then, in, in response to this passion for the poor, was that we started cooking hot food in the school that we were using, and then we would transport it down onto London's embankment because we discovered another amazing fact that in the day, in 1988, you couldn't get a hot meal on a Sunday if you were homeless. Yeah, but about 11 o'clock at night, the Salvation Army Blessing came around with hot food and sandwiches, with, with hot soup and sandwiches. But there was nowhere you could actually go to for a hot meal. So we cooked a hot meal up here, and we took it down. There you are, Lynn's nodding, and some of you, I know, are nodding and involved in that ministry. Linda up there ran it for a while. It was an incredible logistical operation, and we were only a little church, 60 people, if that, you know. You know, we started growing, and... So we started to do that. We did that for about two and a half, three years. And we were feeding up to 200 of London's homeless. It was absolutely extraordinary. This is the church of which you're a part. We have always been breaking that spirit of poverty. Scroll on forward. You know, when we, when we launched into phase two, which was a, 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 an appeal we ran about, uh, I think it was about seven or eight years ago, uh, we had bought this place, 400 members between them raised the 2.3 million pounds to buy this property. I mean, it, it, we had a, a mortgage, and we still have some of a mortgage. We had a mortgage of about 700, but we raised about 1.6 million, 400 members. But you know what? When we did phase two, which was basically putting in the balcony and everything on above the ground floor, the church decided that we would, we would honor the poor. We would give to the poor. We would lend to God. And the reason we did that was we felt that if, if this good news of ours, if this gospel means anything, it's got to be good news for the poor. And so what we did on that occasion, because this was the challenge that was before us, what we did was we, we actually gave the first 10% we estimated the cost of the, the, to do that bit and, and the Upstairs, but it was about 400,000. We decided to give the first 10%, about 40,000 pounds, away to Govindapuram. It's, it's part, it was a, a, a life center, a community center, run by our, our Indian partners. And this church paid for the building of this wonderful community center in Govindapuram. And in fact, Richard and I and others of you had the privilege of going out there and opening it. It was astonishing. And I was just so proud because it wasn't hard to raise that money. But this was sort of eight years ago. This was before any financial recession and St. Albans and its environs were still doing pretty good, thank you. But man, things have changed now. And five years ago, we started the Feed Project. You know, Rick Flatt, who is now the senior pastor of a Brigadier Evangelical Church in Enfield, and is actually now in the process of being adopted into the, that church is being in the press of being adopted into Vineyard Movement, but Rick, one of my colleagues at the time, one of our staff members, he, he said, you know, I, I think people are beginning to hurt in our community. We'll continue to support India, and we do. To this very day, monthly, we send out about 2,000 pounds to feed orphans and clothe them. Every single month, that happens. We haven't stopped that. But Rick was saying to me, he said, you know, I think people are beginning to hurt in our community. There's a few people lost their jobs, and, you know, there's a lot of 
work, you know, people that, that we're beginning to see the working poor, as they're talking about it now. People who are actually working their butts off but still can't raise any money and, and feed their family properly. And so Rick said, why don't we start saying, look, if you're in the, in, if you're in the supermarket and you, and you see a, a two-for-one offer, why don't we get, you know, get, get the extra bring it in and we'll see if we can help a few people. And so it started with a few, there was a couple of blue ba- cases that used to be by the door and we just sort of put the food there and sort of went out. Now it's enormous. Now it's become a phenomena. We have, we have the poor in St. Albans and its district. We really do. And if dear Paul, the politics student, was doing a survey now, he would have his work cut out. Things have changed. We help the poor over there, and we help the poor over there, but the poor are here now. We'll continue to help the poor over there and the poor over there, but what about the poor here? And now we have the largest food bank in Hertfordshire. And and it's an extraordinary phenomenon. We have people regularly coming down. To, I, ha, I had four pastors come to see me, uh, not this last Wednesday, the Wednesday before, who were wanting to start a franchise of the Feed Project and looking to us for leadership and resources and information and support. And this was not something that we sought to do, but it's something that we were willing to do. You know how all, over all the years I've always said, be available to God. You may find yourself preaching the gospel at a, in a tent mission. God forbid, I, th- I see some of you shuddering. <laughs> you may find yourself serving on our board of directors. You may find yourself serving in refreshments, or you may serve, find yourself serving in the car park. You may find yourself doing this, all sorts of things. You may find yourself feeding the poor. And we have always been a people who've sought to be available a people who, for whom you know, we want to be part of the solution, God's solution, not part of the problem. And we have find, found periodically that we need to break the spirit of poverty. Because I know what I'm like. You know, Felicity and I, we're, we're, we are a few years away yet, but we are beginning to approach that age when one might reasonably think about retiring. We went to see a financial advisor on Friday, and he's recommending this and recommending that and recommending the other. And, you know, it's great, but it makes you start thinking, well, I want to keep that, I want to keep that, I want to keep the other, I want to keep this, and so on. Do you know, the only way to keep anything in the kingdom is to give it away. That is a weird thing. That'll do your head in. That'll play with your mind. The only way we keep anything from God is to give it away. Because if you give it away, it comes back to you with, that, with interest. I'm using financial terms, but it's a spiritual principle. You cannot, have the, you, know, you cannot say that you have the gift of healing if you're not persistently and consistently, whether it's convenient or not convenient, praying for the sick. It's, things in the spirit are like manna. They are meant to be given away. Manna in the desert, you know, Moses was told by the Lord, tell the people to go out and collect up the manna, but they mustn't try and save any for tomorrow. They, need, they must depend on me. But some of them thought, well, you know, there may not be any manna tomorrow, so we'll, we'll, we'll keep the manna. And it rotted and it stank overnight. And it was a, a lesson in, in, in being, you know, in not embracing this spirit of poverty. And the spirit of poverty, and I'm, I'm not, this isn't going to be 
I'm not going to teach this now. It needs to be taught regularly. But the spirit of poverty affects everyone, potentially. It's not just those who, you know, like Ronke are struggling to pay the rent and feed their kids. You can be wealthy and struggle with the spirit of poverty. I'm fond of telling you the story of Paul Getty Jr., who was, who was when he was alive, was the richest man in the world. It's a little bit, not quite sure who is the richest man or woman in the world at the moment. But in the day, in his day, he was, and he was asked, how much is rich? And he said, one dollar more. That, my friends, is a spirit of poverty. How much is rich, Paul? One dollar more. Just one. Just one. Nearly there. Just one. Then I'll be rich. And that can affect all of us. It really can. So when it comes to our service, our kingdom service, we need to hold lightly. And and I have to say to you, and this is where I'm going to be honest and self-disclosing, and some of you will think the less of me for it. One of the reasons why I didn't want to lead this church into this campaign, into what I'm about to put to you, was because I was honestly thinking, Man, haven't we done enough? Haven't my family, haven't Fliss and myself, my kids, paid it a high enough price? I, 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 you know, I'm not going to un- unpack that. But that was honestly the question. And throughout last year and our 25th anniversary, what a wonderful year that was. We had so many visitors, and every single one of them, nobody didn't say this. They said, Chris and Fliss, you've done so well. And they patted us on the back. And they uh, said lovely things about us and lovely things about you. And there was a real sense of achievement, a sense of having arrived. And whoa, and this is amazing. So the last thing I wanted to hear from God was, I haven't started yet. (laughs) It was a real case of na, 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 na. And then he reminded me of something, and this is possibly, potentially going to make you think less of me again. He reminded me of how, when I was a curate, and this is a little weird and wacky, so I'm taking a risk here. When I was, my very, very first appointment, I went to a conference in Brighton. Big conference, lots and lots and lots of people there. The worship was wonderful. And I really... Partly, I suppose, because I had no responsibilities. I really had to go for it. I was really into the worship, and I felt the presence of God. And I felt the presence of God. And I felt the presence of God. And oh, my God, I felt the presence of God. It was so intense. It was so thick that I ended up crumbling to the floor. And guess what? On the floor, I felt the presence of God. And I thought, when is this going to stop? It threatened to crush me. And then, this is really weird, and I'll just simply tell tell you the way it is. I felt as if I was, I suddenly had a very strong sense of, of, of being Jacob and needing to wrestle with God. And so I started to wrestle with God on the floor. I mean, if lovely, nice people all around me thought I was demonized or something, I'm sure. I know it's embarrassing. I'm sorry. I'm... But suddenly I was into it, and I was wrestling with God for a blessing. 
I was like Jacob, who was not going to let God go until he had blessed him. And I was wrestling with God, and I was sweating, and I was struggling, and I was thrashing around. I mean, seriously, it was not a pretty sight. I'm glad my wife wasn't there. I'm serious. But then God blessed him. One of the lead pastors came over because I was making such a commotion, not intending to embarrass anybody, but it was just an incredibly intense experience for me. He came over and he said, back off to people. It's God, it's the Lord. It's not a demon, it's the Lord. And I was to thank him for that later because something intense was, I was just a curate, I was just a, a dad with four kids from the inner city Leeds. What, I could, what could I do about anything? We had no wealth then, it had all gone. And I'm wrestling with God and finally I feel as if God is, has, relaxes and I really feel like I'm holding him and he says what do you want Chris and this prayer came out I want to pastor a church of 5,000 and co-find a dynamic spiritual movement that will change the face of this nation (laughs) what where did that come from I want, to co- I want to pastor a church of 5,000 and co-found a dynamic spiritual movement that will change the face of this nation. And with that, I felt God's peace came upon me. And he left. And I stood up feeling like I'd been hit by a train with more questions than answers, thinking, what was that? And this guy, this pastor guy, Campbell, I think his name was, from Canada. He said, come over here, Chris, come on, come on, come on. Let me just pray for you. A few people gathered around, and I was just dripping with sweat. And I share that story, which my staff know, and some of my closest friends know. Why? Because it will not go away. And what the Lord said to me last year, celebrating as we were, a thousand members, and the largest children's ministry in the country, and da, 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 da. The Lord just keeps saying to me, we're not there yet, Chris. We haven't finished. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm tired, Lord. Haven't we given enough? Haven't we made enough sacrifices? Oh God, you know. But success, we measure success. You know, how do we measure success? By the way we compare with you know, some nogging the nogs down by the river or something like that. We compare ourselves with other churches and maybe we can feel we can pat ourselves on the back. I don't know, maybe not. But we need to compare ourselves with God's vision for us, with God's hope, God's hope for us. And we ain't finished yet. We ain't finished yet. And I've always said this, partly through insecurity and, and, and embarrassment. I've said, you know, if I die having only planted a ch- uh, pastored a church of three and a half thousand, I'm not going to kill myself. <laughs> It'll be enough. You know, however it ends up with them. And, and some dear, dear friends have graciously pointed out that if we were to count up the people in the number of churches we planted, we probably exceeded 5,000 by now. So God bless them. But my sense at the moment is, regardless of what you think of that, we ain't finished. So the vision, quite frankly, is this, to, to buy that property directly opposite his. What will we use it for? Well, we have the poor here. 
We have to favor the poor. And we will be ripped off and we will be taken advantage of and they will try and nick my phone and take my money and all this kind of thing. And we've learned that as part of the deal. We are not stupid. We take all reasonable precautions. But if you try and, if, if, if you try and exclude that 3% that are out to rip you off, you lose the 97%. There's a parable in the, in, the, in the scriptures where Jesus says, you know, that the servants came to the master one day and said, terrible things have happened. An enemy has come and sown weeds in the harvest. What should we do? Should we go and pluck the weeds out? And he said, no, leave it. Forget about it. Forget about the weeds. It's not the weeds we're there for. It's the harvest we're there for. And if you go in there and try and pull up the weeds, you will destroy the harvest as well. So put up with the weeds, live with it, and concentrate on the harvest. And that's our principle. Believe me, we're not foolish. We do know what we're doing. We didn't when we first started, but thanks to Carol Cahill and our wonderful team here, we do know what we're doing. But sometimes people will take advantage. They may be undeserving, but whatever. Whatever. So we want to, we want to build a, a, a custom feed center for our poor, not their poor, but for the poor of this district. We want it to be a, a place where there's warehousing so that we can start franchises, feed franchises in other areas in the, in, in the region. People are looking towards that. They're coming to us for that. The council themselves came and said, could we do something with them? But then they started putting all sorts of checks and balances like mainly we couldn't be Christians. I thought, what? That ain't going to work. People are looking to, we didn't volunteer for this, we didn't plan for this, but it's on God's heart. Breaking the spirit of poverty. Not sitting back and sucking our teeth and saying, somebody ought to do something about that. It's terrible, isn't it? Ooh, dear, oh, what a shame. We're it. Look at one another now and say, we're it. Turn to your neighbor. We're it. Okay, remember that. We're it. <laughs> we're God's answer to the poor in this, in this area. And as we press into that, we will inspire others. So we want to have a warehouse, a distribution center. We, we want to have offices and counseling rooms, of course. We want to have a cafe and reception area all across the road. We want to start a kid's store, a place where, where mums, a, a place that looks a bit like a retail area, a nice area where there are pre-owned, you know, second-hand clothes that we have washed and we have repaired if needed. And we've sorted so that mums and dads who are struggling on low incomes can come in and they can get some clothes for their kids, possibly even paying 50p an item. Because we're all about, not just about feeding the poor, but about restoring God's image and dignity in them. And if a struggling mum can, can come to a, a place, a kid's store, where, where they can select some clothes and pay a little bit of money, they feel in control again. They're not just living on handouts. Sometimes we need a help. We need a handout. Other times we, we need to kind of, we need to know that we're actually providing for our kids and we can empower people in that way. Can you imagine it? Somewhere that looks a bit like a retail store, but it's not a retail store. It's run by the vineyard. A place where mums can come in and they can choose, they can go around the wrecks and choose some stuff and then they go and pay a minimal amount for them. You're empowering people. Our own kids are, are busting out and burgeoning. It may be, bless your heart, that some of the parents that had to bring their kids in this morning were because they were turned away out there. It does happen again. The bad old days are back. We do not always have enough room to take in all the kids that we would love to take in. And so what we're having to do is, is, is you know, think about that. 
And we figured that if we can move out pretty well everything other than little children's ministries across the road, then that will free up the rest of this building for our children's ministry. We've heard what the parents said when we were first talking about this, and we've been talking about it for quite some time. Parents of young children said, well, I don't want my kid to be halfway down the road, thank you very much. Well, I'm in here. I want, I want to know there's a problem. I can be there. So we thought, oh, that's a bit of a problem. How are we going to work that one? So, okay, well, we, we'll all move out. So the offices will go, and the youth ministry, ha-ha, will go across the road, freeing up this building for our burgeoning children's ministry with a vision that to make this hour that the kids are out there in their children, the best hour of their week, the best hour of the week. That's the vision behind our children's ministry. Our youth ministry, which for a long time was, was ticking over, is beginning to kick in now. You know, we've got wonderful organizations like Soul Survivor, you know, eight miles away and all the rest of it. Mike and I go back years and years and years. I gave him his very first job as a youth pastor. We go back forever. And why wouldn't you want to go to Soul Survivor holidays and this kind of thing? It's great. And for a time, we thought, well, we could sort of kick back there, you know. But no, because people realize that there's a distinction. There's something about vineyard. There's something about our values and the way we do church. And they want their kids to be raised up in this. And rightly so. Why, why wouldn't you want that? So we want to build a youth center over there. A place where the kids, the young adults can, can do life together. Learn about God and be mentored by our, by our outstanding youth and, and youth leaders. We want to provide a place. At the moment, they have one little room back there. It's ridiculous. It's, it's a shame, really. We've even thought that if there was enough money left over and enough space, that we might even put a soft play adventure as an outreach into the community. Yet another outreach. You know what I mean? These places where kids go crazy and get very hot and bothered. And mums run around saying, don't do that, don't do that, no, be careful. And the dads go, hey, whatever. <laughs> Let them play. It starts, it starts with the poor, but it doesn't finish there. It starts with providing for our children a place where this place and their experience here is the best hour of their week. And where that translates and transitions into a youth ministry here, that just as it happened with the feed ministry, just as it happens with our children's ministry, people come to us and say, help us, we want to do what you're doing in our home situation. So, bringing in this thing to land then, I hope that you all have one of these. Gather, grow, give, that's our tagline. We're growing, folks, whether we like it or not, because healthy things grow. We have to make more space. But there is a reason behind this season. There is a philosophy of ministry. There is a God that is driving us on and calling us on. A God that is challenging us to see ourselves as poor in spirit and needing more of him and needing to throw ourselves upon him and give ourselves to his purposes and not to kick back and say, well, I'm sort of on my way out now. and That's been fun. And I want to apologize to you because I've been a little slow for personal reasons, as I've explained. 
Many of you have known about this for a long time. I cannot tell you the number of prophetic words we've had about properties around here, but in particular that one Norway house across the road. We need, quite frankly, to raise 1.6 million pounds. There were 400 of us and we managed it. There are now 1,000 of us. Please, God, I'm not being presumptuous. May we manage it. Some of you are wealthy. Some of you have resources. You can be like those who in that season of time gave a 100,000 pound gift. I'm going to be doing some more teaching about this next week, about how we can give, because there are some of you who are sitting here who are saying, I, 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 honestly, Chris, I really cannot do anything. I'd love to. Love your passion. Love the idea of you rolling around in Brighton, but it really I can't do anything about this. Sorry. I want to talk to you, talk to us all about sacrificial giving for both rich and poor. And that's going to be next week. But in the short time, to give you the headline, we need to raise 1.6 million pounds, we, we reckon, to get in there. Frankly, our directors, who are an outstanding and very level-headed bunch, have taken an enormous step of faith this week and have put in a provisional offer because we knew that that was, a lot of people have been walking around looking at that. They put in a provisional offer of 1.4 million, which we hope will get their attention. And while we're arguing about the actual price or the rest of it, we need to raise money quickly. So you may be in a position to make a very significant gift. Thank you. Please go away, give yourself to the Lord, and then give yourself to this project. But for the rest of us, for the rest of us, we might just have to make sacrifices. Like the family who came to me during the phase two appeal with a demijohn full of coins. It weighed a ton. They kind of bumped it into my arms. I thought, thank you. What am I supposed to do with this? You know, what is this? And they say, we save for our holidays. We put our change in there. We prayed as a family. We want to make a sacrifice unto the Lord. We want to give you that. I tell you, I teared up. It was a big thing for them. I think of the woman who was saving for a new fireplace. You may smile. Three years she'd been saving for a new fireplace in her, in her lounge. When the appeal came along, she gave us all the money. And she said, God, I've had the last fireplace for 20, 12 years and I'll manage for a bit longer. And what's difficult to communicate is that actually as we got into that project, as we broke the spirit of poverty in each of us, joy began to rise up. Joy. Not happiness. Happiness is about contentment, things being in order and the rest of it. Joy. It, it bubbled up within us. We found our joy again. And it didn't really seem to bear a great relation to circumstances. Some people were fine, other people were really struggling, but there was joy in the house. And celebration. And God blessed us in all of that. So I'm going to pray in just a moment. I'd like the worship team to come back up now. We're just going to finish with the song. I know it's late, but it's, a, it's right that we should do this. But can I just ask you, please, to do as the Macedonian churches did. Give yourselves to the Lord. Pray about this. Even if your prayer is, God, you know, uh, I'm only doing this because Chris said I should, but you know I can't help. Even if that's the way, give yourself to the Lord and then see what God speaks to you about.
Now, you can give this afternoon. You can go online and you can give through our online giving. You'll see it there, Growing Family Campaign. But I think maybe next Sunday, just for some of you who might need a waypoint, we might, we, we might take an offering at the end of the service. So if you want to bring the gift back next Sunday, we do, we've done this occasionally and it's sometimes the right thing to do. If you want to bring the gift back and make that gift next Sunday, we'll do that. There is a sense of urgency about this, folks. Even if you know you can't give now. I mean, Fliss and I, there's, I wanted to just do this. Forgot about this. Fliss and I, there's our, um, Joe, that's our pledge. First in. There you go. We can't start our giving until May. That's, we, we just simply can't. But we've prayed about it, and we, Fliss and I are going to give every month for actually for four years. And it will really mount up with gift aid to quite a considerable sum, but that's the only way we can do this. I'm not saying, you, you know, some of you may be able to do it straight off, but you can pledge, you can offer interest-free loans, you can give cash sums now. But if you could indicate to us what you may be able to help as soon as possible, that would give our dear directors a, a, a proper night's sleep again. Otherwise, it's gonna be difficult. But let's stand now. Let me pray. Paul commended the Macedonian church because even though they were very poor, they begged to be included in the offering that was to go up to Jerusalem. That was the big thing of their day. He was touched by their willingness and enthusiasm. But he also made this comment. He didn't do what they expected. They didn't do what he expected. They gave themselves to the Lord first. They sought God in prayer, and their response was as a result of the prayers that they, that they made that day. So I'm gonna begin that now. Father, I wanna say thank you for this challenge. Thank you for the privilege of being caught up in your purposes. And where will it all end? I know it'll end well, but how it'll end, I do not know, it's a mystery. Lord God, we thank you now for this, this opportunity. And we give ourselves to you, our Heavenly Father, as you step out, as you cross the Jordan, as you cross the road, so that we can take the land for you and extol the name of Jesus and commend him to others. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen.